what's going on everybody and welcome into another edition of be shafe daily my name is brendan schaefer coming to you here on wednesday march 30th 2022 and today was a pretty historic day for the cardinals if you're paying attention to spring training numbers as st louis absolutely walloped anibal sanchez and the washington nationals you wish you could have said that during the 2019 NLCS. Of course, the Nationals swept that series. But today, today the Cardinals got their sweet revenge. 29-8. to The Cardinals took down the Nats down in West Palm Beach, the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. Huge day offensively for the Redbirds as Anibal Sanchez gave up 10 runs, all of them earned, and then the Cardinals had another outburst later on in the game. The eighth inning, they scored 15 runs. Ten of which belonged to Cade Cavalli. I believe I'm saying that right. Whether I am or not, it was not his day at the ballpark. 29-8, to the Cardinals win the Grapefruit League game over the Nationals. Going to go over a few of the notable elements of the box score from that game. And of course, there were many. When you score 29 runs, it's kind of hard not to have some interesting things take place. And some of those included the following, the Pauls. It was a big day for the Pauls. If you were named Paul in the Cardinals starting lineup, you didn't make any outs. Paul Goldschmidt, four for four, three runs scored, a home run and an RBI. Paul DeYoung, perhaps even more interesting in a topic that we will get into a little bit further in today's episode of B-Shape Daily, as I think Paul DeYoung, whether he thrives or whether he fails as a productive starting shortstop for the Cardinals this season, I think that will go a long way toward determining how successful this lineup is top to bottom. Paul DeYoung, though, off to a really good start in the games that don't count. He goes 3-for-3 three three on Wednesday, a home run, a double, Three runs scored, five RBIs for Paul Young. And he's having a heck of a start to the season as well, at least the spring campaign. 471 batting average, 1374 OPS so far for the Cardinals shortstop. And that's really what I want to get into a little bit today. Real quick, though, first, some other notables from the game. Two for four for Yachty Molina, three RBIs, a couple of runs scored. Carlson goes two for three. You got a three-run bomb from Alec Burleson. That's interesting. The outfielder who hadn't really done much this spring prior to that. 23-year-old left-handed swinger. Saw him drafted in 2020 in the compensation round, second-round pick out of East Carolina. We'll see what he can develop into. You'll see him. One of the minor league affiliates this season, to be sure. But he went yard today as well. Albert Pujols. Should mention him. He made his first start for the Cardinals. Not ever, of course, but in a little bit more than 10, 11 years. As he goes one for three, and it's a little bit maybe indicative of what you could end up seeing from Albert Pujols, the way his first plate appearance ended on Wednesday because Albert comes up to bat with the bases loaded in the first inning. Nobody out his first time back in a Cardinal uniform since 2011. And he grounds into a double play. (laughs) 
Oh, boy. You might end up seeing plenty of that this season, by the way. There's a reason that when you go to Albert Pujols' baseball reference page, his career grounded into the double plays stat is outlined in gold, which means he's the all-time leader in a given category. And unfortunately, Albert's got a lot of really good things on his baseball reference page. That's one of the not-so-good things. That, to, to lead all-time and grounded into double plays, maybe not what you want. Not hard to figure how he's gotten to that point, though. I was talking with uh, our consultant over at the radio station, KTGR, this afternoon, and we were discussing Albert and grounding into the double play. And I told him, I said, yeah, did you know he led or he leads all time in Major League history in, in that statistic? And he said, well, he leads in it, and it feels like he does, right? Like, it's not one of those statistics that you're surprised to learn because Albert, not exactly fleet of foot, you also consider the fact that he doesn't strike out very often, and we talked about that on yesterday's B-Shape Daily, or it might have been a couple of days ago. Whenever we re- we recorded an episode last, I mentioned that, that even through all of his Angels years, Albert has never had, and this is still true in his major league career, which has spanned more than 20 years, Albert has never had a season in which he has struck out 100 times. It's always been fewer than 100, and, and in most cases, by quite a good margin, so... When you're putting the ball in play and you're not very quick, you're going to end up rolling over on enough and you'll end up grounding into quite a few double plays. And that's what Albert did to start things off his reunion with the Cardinals on Wednesday, at least an exhibition play. But hey, a run scored. (laughs) You don't get an RBI for that, but a run did come around to score because the bases were loaded, nobody out. And then the Cardinals ended up scoring more runs in that first inning, four of them, in fact. And so you could say Albert really started the rally. You could say that. I wouldn't necessarily do so myself, but you could if you want. I won't yell at you for doing it. By the way, I also don't know if that's necessarily anything to be ashamed of, the fact that Albert Pujols is atop that leaderboard, although he is atop the leaderboard by a pretty good significant margin. Number two is Cal Ripken Jr., who grounded into 350 double plays in his career. Albert is up to 413, and he'll add to that number this season. So that's a pretty significant gap of 63 between first and second place. But you go down the list of the top 10, Miguel Cabrera, he'll be a Hall of Famer. Pudge Rodriguez, Hall of Famer. Henry Aaron, Hall of Famer. Carl Yaskremski, Hall of Famer. Dave Winfield, Hall of Famer. Eddie Murray, Hall of Famer. Jim Rice, Hall of Famer. You have to get to number 10 on the list, Julio Franco, to get to a guy who's not in the Hall of Fame. And then number 11, number 12, Number 14, number 15, Ted Simmons, are all Hall of Famers. Joe Torre. And then you start to get to a few other guys. Uh, Yachty Molina, by the way, 21st all-time. So a lot of pretty big names on that list. you got to play for a long time to be able to ground into that many double plays. And uh, that's just part of part of Albert's, Albert's game, as we know. But let's talk about Paul DeYoung's game. Let's talk about the guy who is destined to be the Cardinals starting shortstop this season. You love what you're seeing from him so far this spring, especially if you're John Moselak, who in the midst of an off season where you had a number of high caliber elite big time names at the shortstop position available in free agency, Carlos Correa, Javi Baez, Simeon. I believe he was a free agent signed with, 
the Rangers, and so did Corey Seager, another name. And uh, Trevor Story, obviously, that was the name that a lot of Cardinals fans thought maybe St. Louis would get involved in, given the uh, Nolan Arenado connection. But the Cardinals didn't do any of that. They said, Paul DeYoung's our guy. We trust in what he's going to be able to do this season, and we're going to give him the leeway to show it. Back in January, Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch wrote a story on Paul DeYoung. This was during the lockout, remember? And so the Cardinals wouldn't have been able to sign a shortstop during this period anyway. But it just seemed as though that wasn't in the cards. Even when the lockout came to an end, you just didn't get the feeling that the Cardinals were going to make that kind of splash. People wanted Paul DeYoung to be traded. They thought maybe you could go like an Alan Craig trade or a number of the other trades the Cardinals have made of players who get that extension, like Paul DeYoung got the contract extension early on in his career, and so it's not like his contract is an albatross, but if you're hitting 197 the way Paul DeYoung did last season and you're OPSing 674 like he did in 2021, 671 like he did in 2020, which was the COVID season, so you don't really hold that against him necessarily, but it wasn't encouraging to see that he followed it up last year with a pretty similar mark and, and actually much worse in several categories, namely batting average on base percentage. He actually had a better slugging percentage this past season than he did in the COVID year. Young still hit 19 home runs in 2021, but again, he hit below 200, slugged below 400 once again, and the on-base was a struggle as well at 284, which if you're batting 197, 284 is maybe not the worst on-base percentage in the world, but it's still it's still not very good. It was a career low for DeYoung, as was the batting average. And like I said, the OPS was basically what he did in the COVID season in 2020. And so those are not encouraging statistics. And you recall at the end of 2021, the Cardinals pretty much didn't play a lot of Paul DeYoung. You began to see a lot more Edmundo Sosa on a regular basis. And, of course, there's been a manager change since that point in time. But still, it's worth recognizing that in the lineup for the St. Louis Cardinals, Paul DeYoung was not producing enough to necessarily be an everyday player at all times. Now, he still was the, the starter for the bulk of the season and even during the stretch run. But you can remember times where you'd see a little more Edmundo Sosa, and you can remember other times where if you didn't, you were just seeing Paul DeYoung kind of go out there and, for lack of a nicer way to say it, he was just kind of an automatic out for a lot of the times down the stretch. And just to confirm my uh, my bias on what I, what I recall seeing from DeYoung, I'm just going to isolate September 1 to the end of the season, end of the regular season, which was October 2nd. And remember, the Cardinals had that 17-game win streak during that, that period of time. Paul DeYoung from September 1 to the end of the year, 177 batting average, 232 on base, and a 412 slug. So he just continues to, every once in a while, run into a homer, hit three three dongs in the month of September, or I should say September to October 2nd, in 56 plate appearances. And that that's kind of what it felt like, you know? Thinking back, I, that's kind of what I, what I thought I would see when I isolated those numbers, because... You just didn't feel like Paul DeYoung was giving you a very good chance anytime he came to the plate. He really, really was struggling. I'm sure he'd tell you the same thing. But like I mentioned, Derek Gould wrote a story this offseason back in January 
talking about the ways that DeYoung is working on his swing and trying to, to, to find himself, really. Get back to where he had been the first few seasons of his career with the Cardinals, which is uh, those are the performances that earned him that contract extension in the first place. And so some of the things that DeYoung was doing and in whatever conversations I guess he had with the Cardinals thereafter, the team felt pretty good about him. And you just kind of got this sense, coming into spring training at least, that he would be the guy at shortstop. And and there were quotations from from the team, Ali Marmol, others that have, have basically said as much, that there's not really a shortstop competition entering the season. It's going to be DeYoung's job to lose. And I, I think the way he loses it is the same way that he sort of tried to lose it at times last year, which was just days at a time, not productive, and you could even say non-competitive at the plate. I don't think his defense really ever suffered for it. He didn't exactly bring it into the field, which is something that you you can appreciate. But at the same time, Edmundo Sosa defensively, I think he's probably as good as Paul DeYoung. Sosa maybe doesn't make the routine play every time the way you'd like, the way Paul DeYoung you expect from him. But Sosa can make the spectacular play, and and I think you know, just what he's able to do in the field. He's a spark plug defensively. And and Sosa, if you had to make me pick between DeYoung and Sosa, I'm, I might lean toward Sosa defensively, just talking about defense. But still, DeYoung wasn't taking his issues at the plate into the field. But there does come a point in time where you just have to say, look, if we're going to do the defense thing, we might have this other guy who who can maybe be a little bit more consistent at the plate. And Imundo Sosa was not, a world beater offensively. He had his moments for sure, but he's not, he's not a guy that's going to carry you with his bat. And I don't think he's ever going to become that. But when you look on baseball reference and, and baseball reference tends to, when it comes to wins above replacement, they tend to lean more heavily into the defensive value of a guy than you might get from fan graphs and their wins above replacement metric. But on baseball reference, 3.2 wins above replacement for Sosa last year. And that wasn't in a ton of plate appearances. 326 is all he got. 113 games. But, I mean, if you if you plotted that out a little further for a full season, you might have a five-win player on your hand, at least according to baseball reference, which, which, like I said, maybe skews more in favor of what a guy can do defensively, which Sosa can do quite a bit defensively. Offensively, had a decent batting average, 271. On base was pretty solid as well, 346. I mean, that was probably higher than Tommy Edmonds on base, and he was he was a leadoff man for much of the season for the Cardinals last year. As I do a quick Google search, Tommy Edmonds last year hit 262 on base of 308. And we'll get into a little bit why that may spell Tommy Edmonds batting lower in the lineup, and potentially you could see maybe some more Edmundo Sosa at second base at times. Down the road, maybe Nolan Gorman would be a sensible addition to the Cardinals roster if Tommy Edmond ends up struggling against right-handed pitching the way he did last season. I know I'm kind of jumping all around here, but you think about the way Ali Marmol might be different from Mike Schilt. One area where that could end up being the case is with the maybe the degree to which he pays attention to splits and approaches things from sort of a platoon standpoint. With Tommy Edmond last year, that really wasn't the case. He was in there pretty much every day and took a lot of at-bats against right-handed pitching. 
534 plate appearances against righties. And of course, Tommy Edmond is a switch hitter, so you figure, okay, he'll be, you know, he should be able to hit any kind of pitching, righties or lefties. Well, you remember there were some times where he was actually batting right-handed against right-handed pitching because of how badly he was struggling against that style of pitching as a left-handed hitter. It only happened, looks like, four plate appearances that he went right on right. But it just goes to tell you that, you know, there were some struggles and and he was searching for it for a while there. 665 OPS for Edmund against right-handed pitching last season, which is to say he was basically Paul DeYoung against right-handed pitching. And we know that Paul DeYoung for the season was not very good. 674 OPS. Edmund was actually worse against right-handed pitching last season than DeYoung was for his entire campaign. So definitely something that maybe should go under the microscope a little bit more than it did last year. And the reason I bring it up is because you may have Nolan Gorman coming down the pipe at some point in time this year, and you might be able to say, hey, that's a left-handed batter who is capable of playing second base. And if he's a lefty who mashes righties at the big league level, that is something to uh, to keep note of. Although Tommy Edmond did win a gold glove last year as a second baseman, at some point the Cardinals are going to have to decide where's the offense going to come from primarily. And, and Edmond does add those elements of stolen bases. He was the first Cardinal since Edgar Renteria in, I believe, 2003 to steal 30 bags last year, so that's significant. He also had quite a few doubles, hitting 41 doubles. So those are numbers that helped and that contributed to Edmund ending up at uh, about 90, 91, 91 runs scored for the season. So that's a way that he contributed offensively. But like I said, you're going to have to kind of weigh the pros and cons of what does defense mean, especially if you've got a better option offensively, which Nolan Gorman may end up being against right-handed pitching in particular. And it'll be interesting to see the ways that when Ali Marmol is presented with those options, obviously off the bat, he won't be when it comes to Gorman. He won't have that luxury to say, yep, I'm putting Gorman in the lineup. He won't be on the roster. So that won't be a choice yet. But when he's presented with those options, it'll be interesting to see kind of the way he approaches it. And I think the same will be true with Paul DeYoung and the way that they want to handle his at-bats. But I referenced it a couple of times already, so now I'm actually going to get into some of the tidbits from the story that Derek Gould wrote in the offseason. In talking about what Paul DeYoung was trying to do to uh, to fix himself, I just want to take a couple of the quotes, and uh, I do recommend you go read the entire story to get a better feel for what he's talking about. But DeYoung said in this story by Derek Gould, I really think I'm in a different place as far as my understanding of my swing. I thought my mechanics, I was searching. He's talking about last year. He says, I was searching. I don't take offense to that description. I was really kind of all over the map last year. I addressed a lot of things with my coach now. We're on the same page, and I'm understanding the correct way I can do things. So, okay. There's a lot to get into on that. You're kind of frustrated maybe as a Cardinals fan that coaching staff wasn't able to to fix this last year, but bygones are bygones, I think, in a lot of ways with some of the issues the Cardinals had maybe internally last year. And obviously, right or wrong, it ended up being kind of Mike Schilt that was on the uh, – got the blunt end of a lot of, uh, a lot of that by the fact that he's no longer here. And you still have Jeff Albert. And Jeff Albert very well may be uh, a guy that has a lot of value to bring to the table. However – if for whatever reason the Cardinal players were not necessarily uh, 
taking heed to the advice that he was dishing out or there was a disconnect there for whatever reason. That's not what you want to have. And so, of course, Ryan Ludwig now is is part of the uh, the Cardinals coaching staff. You get a former player's perspective that can potentially help out some of the hitters and, and some of the things that they're they're looking to find with their swing and things of that nature. Paul DeYoung was a guy, if you remember last year, had, had reached out and, and had some conversations with Ryan Ludwig. I don't believe that's the coach he's talking about in the, in this article by Derek, but Ryan Ludwig was, you know, in, involved on the periphery last year. And uh, now I think in more, a more official capacity, it'll be good to have that former player perspective and hopefully be able to take the things that Jeff Albert wants to communicate to these players and be able to, to get those, uh, the, the execution of those items uh, to be a little bit more smooth, because I think you had some issues with that last year, certainly, but DeYoung, here's another quote from DeYoung from the uh, from the article. He says, I know that one of Jeff Albert's big things, especially with me, we talked a lot about my inconsistency with my routine and that he thinks I need a consistent routine to be a consistent hitter. Lorenzo, the coach he's talking about in the story, has really helped me with his program to have a good routine. I can execute it every day. Before, it was, what am I feeling today? I was a little bit too reactive instead of proactive. You hear things like that, and, and this is kind of digging up something old, this two-month-old article, but since we're talking about Paul DeYoung, I think that's kind of going to be the key to his season. Is And, and he's a guy that does a, he's a very he's very much a thinking man's player. Talk a lot about how intelligent Paul DeYoung is, but it just seems like he kind of got into a rut as a baseball player where he was not giving full consideration to the, the game-planning aspects of that. And it seems as though in this story, he's able to acknowledge that, yeah, my hitting coach, Jeff Albert, that was one of the things he wanted me to do. And I just kind of wasn't doing it. And so whatever it was, it just was not clicking for Paul DeYoung last year to be able to take that next step, I think, in his development. And and this is not all too uncommon, I don't believe, when you talk about players coming up from the minors, they, they get their first crack at the big leagues. They maybe even have some success, as Paul DeYoung did, you know his rookie season was was is still remains the best big league season that he's had numbers wise, OPS of like eight fifty, and he hasn't touched those numbers since. And so you might get into a situation where you're Paul DeYoung, you get to the big leagues and and you're like this is easy. Things are just coming very easily to me as a 23 year old kid back in 2017, when he hit 285, had 857 OPS, 25 homers. Had a really, really good season. I mean, an 857 OPS, you look at the OPS plus, league average is 100. He was 121, so 21% better than league average that, that first year. Since then, it's gone down. 102, 99, 87, 86. So he went from well above league average as a rookie to narrowly above league average in his, his sophomore campaign in 2018. And from there, he he's continued to go further in the wrong direction to where he's been a below league average player offensively. And I think sometimes it's just a matter of those adjustments and being able to do those things after feeling like, oh, it's come so easy to me. And then you kind of get set in feeling like it's just going to continue to be that easy, but the league adjusts back to you. And I think that's what pitchers have done to Paul DeYoung. Again, they still make mistakes. I think he's one of the, the, the better hitters. We talked about this with Albert Pujols a lot, how he, even at age 42, there are going to be pitchers especially ones that are on the Reds, they're on the Pirates. Although the Reds are, are giving Hunter Green the top prospect. He was the uh, former number two overall pick, 
I believe back in 2017, he's going to be in their rotation to start the season. So that'll be good. I like when even bad teams decide, let's just give our top prospects a chance and see what they can do. Makes for a more exciting game. But there are going to be pitchers on those teams that Albert is going to stand in against, and they're going to leave one a mistake over the plate, and he's going to punish them. He's going to do it probably 15, 20 times. Hopefully he does it 21 times so he can end up with 700 home runs for the career before uh, before the season's over. But Paul DeYoung is another guy who's actually really good at doing that as well. I've noticed. Like if you leave if you leave a meatball over the plate, he's going to hit it. He's going to hit it a long way. 2019, when he was an all-star, he hit 30 home runs. That was also the year that he struck out the most. Of course, it was the year that he had the most plate appearances, but 149 strikeouts, 233 batting average back in 2019, but he hit 30 dingers even last year. 197 average, hit 19 home runs. The nature of Paul DeYoung's game is he will still punish mistakes, but I feel like those were growing to be fewer and farther between. And when the pitcher was executing against Paul DeYoung, it was almost as though Paul DeYoung did not have a chance because he just was not, I think, preparing on the level maybe that he needed to be. And the fact that he's willing to to admit that to Derek Gould in the article and, and talk about that coming into the season, I think is uh, I think that's that's a positive step in the right direction for Paul DeYoung. And it's so interesting, and this is something that I was kind of speculating on even before digging into that article that Derek wrote about Paul DeYoung, is that he he really seemed to take a very meticulous routine and approach to defense and, and learning how to be effective at the shortstop position. And I can remember this from past spring trainings where he would be down there early with Colton Wong and whether it was Paul Goldsmith and different guys working on infield with Jose Okendo. I mean, these were the things they were doing pretty much almost right after winter warm-up would get over, which is like late January. And they'd immediately go from winter warm-up and they'd go down to Jupiter and they'd start working on their defense, getting the infield to be cohesive and all on the same page. And it obviously has paid dividends even in a post-Colton Wong world, last year you win, a, what, six gold gloves? DeYoung hasn't won one himself, but you could see him doing so perhaps someday because he has put the work in to be able to do it. But even in this article, Derek Gould writes, he didn't take that same approach with hitting until now. And DeYoung says, I'm more mindful of what it is I'm doing and why we have a solid routine working right now that really just kind of locks me in as far as my connection. And so... I feel like we've seen him do it defensively. We've seen Paul DeYoung tackle a routine and what that looks like and be able to turn himself into a really quality shortstop at the major league level. And I think offensively now the question is, will he be able to use a similar mindset and and be as productive as a hitter as he you know it looked like he would be when he first came into the league? And by the way, that post-dispatch article titled, As the Lockout Persists, DeYoung Hits New Drills and Data to Lock in Swing and re- Reward Cardinals Confidence. So if you want to do a Google search for that, I just want to plug that one more time since we did uh, kind of talk about some of the elements from Derek's article there. But I think that's that's the long and short of it for Paul DeYoung. He's got to be able to take that approach, keep consistent with it, and, and you're going to find, you'd have to imagine, that when things aren't quite going your way, by having that consistent approach on the front end, rather than, than kind of reacting and getting a little bit too much in your head on the on the back end and, and the reaction sort of way, 
you'll be able to adjust kind of as pitchers are adjusting to you rather than always trying to chase the game and then maybe not having the confidence in yourself that you should. And look, it'll be interesting to see if Paul DeYoung can can end up getting the results that he wants from this. The Cardinals are certainly banking on him doing so. Yes, you've got Edmundo Sosa there waiting in the wings, and, and Sosa's going to scrap and do everything he can to get opportunities on this team. But I think Paul DeYoung has the most upside of the two, and I think the Cardinals know that. Because you've seen offensively what Paul DeYoung can do at his height, and you know that defensively you're not really losing anything. Even if you do consider Sosa to be a little bit better, you're definitely not losing much, if anything, with Paul DeYoung defensively. He's really, really solid out there. And they'd like for him to be in there every day. It's just a matter of offensively, can he keep it going? And he's had good springs in the past, 2020. I said coming into that year, he looked to me down in Jupiter in 2020 before COVID hit. He looked to me like a potential MVP candidate in the making. Of course, COVID happened. He was one of the guys who got it, got hit relatively hard by it, and was kind of chasing from there. Just not a good 2020 season. And last year was not really able to, to kind of find it back. So far this spring, again, condensed spring, you don't know how much stock you want to put into that, but he's having a really good spring, and that was punctuated on Wednesday with with a three-for-three three day, and he hit a homer, a double, and had five runs driven in. So we'll see. We'll see on Paul DeYoung. But I did want to kind of get a little bit of focus in on him. We're just a little over a week away from opening day at Bush Stadium. Cardinals taking on the Pittsburgh Pirates, and that one on Thursday, April 7th. It's going to be a good time. A lot of people rightfully excited with Albert Pujols coming back. You have to imagine he will be in the lineup for that game. And there for all the festivities, the uh, the opening day fanfare. And so it should be a good time out of the ballpark. It'll be Adam Wainwright. It'll be Yadier Molina. It'll be Albert. It'll be just like old times. So that'll be a lot of fun. And, of course, we'll continue to uh, lead up to opening day with B-Shafe Daily. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I'm going to continue to say it. would love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts in particular. I think Spotify, you can do a review as well. We'd love to see those Apple Podcast numbers go up as uh, as more people get to know about B-Shape Daily and uh, know about us as a, a good outlet for Cardinals coverage. And So I appreciate you guys for being here and uh, hope you continue to listen in as the season unfolds. If you've got any topics in particular that you think I should be covering or you'd like to hear me talk about on B-Shape Daily, never hesitate to shoot me a message on Twitter at bshafer 12 you can send me a direct message or you can leave comments on uh, whatever uh, services will allow you to do so. I think Spotify has a Q&A feature if you'd like to jump in on that. Would love to to have your thoughts and, and feedback on the show as we get into another season of Cardinals baseball. Should be a good one. So appreciate you guys. As always, that's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.